You're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. Excited to dive into another episode of the Bible Nerd Podcast with you. I sure hope you are having a great week. We're going to dive into a subject that is at the heart of Christian teaching and Christian thought. It's evangelism. And so many people, I think, overcomplicate evangelism, and they they make it something that uh, they're not sure whether or not they can do. And in fact, recently, surveys have come out indicating that some are curious whether we even should do, which seems kind of odd to the ear of anyone who's been a Christian for more than five seconds, but we are going to look at those kind of issues today and talk about evangelism and exponential growth. I'm excited to dive into this topic with you. If you're a new listener to the show, welcome aboard. We've had uh, a good number of downloads recently and uh, maybe even have some new listeners coming in here. So that's absolutely wonderful. And I would just encourage you to, if you like what you hear, um, rate the show, review the show there in your iTunes uh, store or your Apple podcast store rather for your area. And that would just be super awesome. We would love to, to spread the message of Bible nerd far and wide. So thank you for joining the club. And so I'm excited to dive in with you. So as Christians, I think a primary concern of ours ought to be the evangelism of the lost. Again, this just kind of seems basic. If you've been a Christian for more than five seconds, it seems like this should be something that's a big deal to you. And it certainly is a big deal to me. We, we want to see the the lost and dying world around us. And you can see this, um, you hear the phrase groping in the darkness. That's kind of a, a biblical phrase. And you see the world around you and that seems like a good description of what's going on. It's like, it's like just groping in the darkness. It's like they're looking for something, they're searching for something, they're grabbing for something, but they can't quite get at whatever that thing is. And, and I think that's a perfect metaphor, right, for what it means to be lost, to be without hope, to be without Jesus, searching for something, but never really finding the fulfillment. It's like everything's just kind of bouncing around. You're just out there. You're floating around. You're trying to navigate your uh, your life in this sea of confusion, this mass confusion of what the world is. And that's why, at least one reason why, the hope that is offered through Christ is so important because there's a legitimate meaning uh, to life, and that meaning is missed when you miss Christ. However, the idea of evangelism has always been particularly difficult for me. It really has because um, I'm, I'm certainly an introverted person, and I do have difficulty connecting with others in these sort of spontaneous encounters or even I would go so far as to say these one-on-one kind of encounters with anyone that I don't know. I I tend to need some rapport to be built up and would prefer that in, in order to have any kind of conversation. Or if somebody else at least initiates the conversation, you know, I mean, I'm willing to go a little bit deeper into, into subjects Um you know, like like biblical truth and, and, and good thinking and things like that. And it's just hard for me to dive into that kind of thing um, unprovoked and to kind of provoke the conversation myself. So I totally get that. And I've actually um, 
written about that before uh, in another uh, in, a, in another blog post that I had put on the site. And um, I also wrote about it in a book called God, the Great Commission, and You. So I would highly encourage you to check that out. You can find the links to both of those, both the book and that particular blog post inside of the uh, blog post that accompanies this episode. Just go to steveshram.com. And uh, if you're listening recently, you'll see it right there on the, the homepage. Uh, otherwise, you can just search for it. But you will definitely find this episode on the website. Now, suffice it to say, I believe that there's a spectrum where all personality types can shine. So there's not an excuse to fail to do evangelism. Okay, there is no excuse to fail to do evangelism. It it might look a bit different for one person than it does for another person, but evangelism must be done. Discipleship must be done. We must bring people to Christ. That is part of our great commission. That's part of our call. If you're breathing and if you're a follower of Christ, you have a role. So there's a crisis though. And I've mentioned some of these difficulties already, and unfortunately, they've left a giant mark on the state of evangelism within the Christian church. I want to read to you this 2019 study that was conducted by the Barna Group. This is some pretty troubling uh, stuff. Here it is right here, quote, Almost all practicing Christians believe that part of their faith means being a witness about Jesus, ranging from 95% to 97% among all generational groups. And that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to know Jesus, 94% to 97%. Millennials in particular feel equipped to share their faith with others. For instance, almost three quarters say they know how to respond when someone raises questions about faith, 73%, and that they are gifted at sharing their faith with other people, also 73%. This is higher than any other generational group, Gen X at 66%, Boomers at 59%, and Elders at 56%. Despite this, many Millennials are unsure about the actual practice of evangelism. Almost half of Millennials, 47%, get this, agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. This is compared to a little over one quarter of Gen X, 27%, one in five boomers, 19%, and elders, 20%. Though Gen Z teens were not included in this study, their thoroughly post-Christian posture will likely amplify this stance toward evangelism, close quote. Now, for you Bible nerds out there, right, I mean, this should be just absolutely troubling Um, information. Why is it that this generation feels like overwhelmingly the best thing that could happen to a person is for them to know Jesus? And yet, so many of them feel as though it would actually be wrong. Not that it's just not good necessarily, but that it is, it's legitimately wrong to share their faith with somebody else in hopes that they will share the same faith. I mean, with so much cultural upheaval right now, when what we need, I mean, the issues abound with regards to race, gender differences, sexual orientation, things like that. Like What this world needs is, is hope. What this world needs is Jesus. And it seems like people agree, but they somehow don't agree 
that what they need to do is to share Jesus with someone else. I wonder how much of this is a function of, of studied rational thinking versus being driven to inaction by fear. And what, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, I get the idea of fear, like I mentioned, in evangelism. I, I, I have trouble initiating conversations with people about Christ. In fact, I usually just, frankly, don't do it. I'm very public about my faith. I'm very open about my faith, the way that I uh, live my faith, and the way that I express my faith with those around me. I'm never afraid to talk about Jesus. But me bring up the conversation, it's like I can never get in at a good time. And, and it, it really, yeah, it's something that I, I have lots and lots of difficulty with. So um, my strategy, just for what it's worth, is that I, I try to go out of the way to um, be someone who gets asked to be someone who gets asked. You know, First Peter 3.15 talks about um, the, the call to apologetics, basically. It's like you need to be ready to give a defense when people ask you for the hope that's within you. Like, why, why do you have this hope? Why are you this way? And one question that I would ask you for self-reflection is, like, are people asking you? Does anybody ever ask you, do you live in such a way that actually causes people to ask? You know, it's really interesting how easy, uh, how easy this is I hear people talk about this, that uh, that that this sort of lifestyle evangelism kind of thing where it's like, oh, they'll just see my life kind of thing is wrong. Well, certainly it's not wrong. Uh, the uh, This was certainly a, a way of, of people coming to know the truth in the biblical um, writer's mind. Um, and 1 Peter 3.15, to me, is kind of like the icing on the cake for, for that kind of concept. Um the idea is, though, that you need to live in such a way that people actually ask. And, and for them to actually ask, well, you know, what's with you? Why are you different? Guess what? That actually requires you to be different. I find so many people who, who preach the idea of, well, you have to physically walk up to somebody and basically tell them that they need Christ or they're going to hell kind of thing. Like If that is your, you know, the people who kind of preach that mentality and they are out there, trust me. The people who preach that mentality, I think oftentimes um, don't live the way that, uh, in such a way that they would be asked. And so when they tell other people that it's wrong, uh, or at least it's not complete to only live in such a way that uh, they can be uh, asked um, why they are different, um, th anyway, there's, there's a disconnect there. So it's really simple, I think. To, to do that, I was listening to a, a podcast, a marketing podcast the other day. But the uh, the uh, the podcaster and the the owner of the business, who it is, is a Christian, and uh, he he follows God. And I, I'm really um, I was intrigued by this uh, episode of this podcast. It was just called Awesome. And basically, what he did was tell a story about how he has this neighbor who has um, um, cerebral palsy, uh, palsy, excuse me, uh, cerebral palsy, and. He uh, picks him up and takes him to church once a week and, and spends some time with him throughout the week. And one of the things, and he's got, this dude has apparently got like plenty in life stocked against him, uh, the cerebral palsy just being one part of it. And when people ask him how he is, he always answers with the word awesome. He always answers with the word 
awesome. And and so the guy who was recording the podcast, he said, you know, I've started doing this and I've started telling my kids that this is how they should respond to that question. And he said, what it does is it catches people off guard. People really don't know what to think about that because most people just aren't doing awesome. Um, and they will ask you, well, what's got you? you know, feeling so good or what's got you, you know, you know, why are you feeling awesome? Like something really good must've happened to you kind of thing. And it's like, it's just amazing in your demeanor. And even in the words you use when people strike up casual conversation with you, how quickly it could get to Jesus, how quickly it could get to a biblical worldview. If you would just uh, live in such a way that you got asked about it, that's all it takes. So that's, I think a really striking way to uh, to overcome that fear but certainly you know um these outright presentations of the gospel can be nerve-wracking experiences and very many feel as though those should just be avoided and so i do want to disagree ideologically with that but as a card-carrying introvert i totally get it and it's not because i'm ashamed of the gospel people say that like yo you're just ashamed of the gospel well guess what i'm not i mean i have just as much trouble making a cold call for my web design business like it's that um it's it's the same exact thing which uh, by the way a little plug here this episode and every episode is sponsored by the work i do in my web design business that's www.northmacservices.com if you need help with a website or marketing uh, i'm your guy so go over there and check that out okay but um I, you know i'll talk about jesus all day long so long as you ask first right like i'm just not going to strike up that conversation that's just not the kind of person that i personally am but let me say, this study, this Barna study that I read to you, certainly gives me pause. I'm just not entirely sure whether we can say the participants in this study were, were afraid to, to bring it up, afraid to talk through the issues, or whether fear was even the demotivating force. But here's what I do know. I would answer that I am equipped to answer the questions. I would also answer that I am reasonably skilled at sharing with others. Remember, these are the questions that were asked. But I would not answer that it's wrong to share my beliefs in the hopes of bringing another along. So I would be on board with them for two-thirds of those answers, right? But I would not answer that it's that it's wrong to share my beliefs in the hopes of bringing someone else to Christ. So I, I, I also know that I cannot, and I don't think anyone can, seriously read the Bible and come away with anything close to the idea that evangelism is unbiblical or immoral. I, I mean, it's, it's super basic. So it leads me to believe that fear of having the conversation is the true driver behind these responses. And if that's the case, again, if that's the case, and I, I'm, I don't know for sure, but if that's the case, as it would be for me, then as we're going to discuss here, I actually think that there is a remedy. Now, there's another side to this, though, and, and it's that many are actually too extreme when they share. Okay? Now, hang on with me here, okay? Some are so reserved that they totally end up sitting on the sidelines, absolutely. But others are so outspoken that they border on uncharitable and tend to look down on those who don't find evangelism so easy. Now, here again, the lines are a bit blurry, okay? Like perhaps the idea of street preaching, let's look at that for a minute. It's, it's probably a good example. Is it bad, immoral, or unbiblical, street preaching? Is it bad, immoral, or unbiblical? 
Well, certainly it's not, um, at least not in itself, but characteristic among many street preachers is this inability or failure to seriously engage ideas. It's just, unfortunately, it's kind of part of the landscape in terms of the ones that I've encountered. Now, trust me, um, there are exceptions to the rule. Absolutely. Totally are. There are exceptions to the rule. I'm talking about characteristically is this idea of an inability or a total failure to seriously engage ideas. It's more so just a shouting match. One can be loud and overpowering, and where one can do that, there's much less need, so to speak, um, for rational discourse. At least that's how the thinking goes. So just preach louder at him and the Spirit will do the rest, right? Amen, right? Well, Again, I'm not so sure. We we live in a culture that we, we have to be sensitive to. It's not as though preaching doesn't work, but if, if you call that preaching and something else um, uh, not preaching that might just have a little bit different tone to it or a little bit different way of approaching it, then y- you may be redefining preaching in an unhealthy way, okay? Okay? So so I, I think a lot of times in, in the cultural environment we're in, in the time we're in, we do need to be sensitive to what's going on in the world around, and and we need to filter our message, not not the truth, we don't filter the truth, but, but we filter our message through the lens of the current cultural landscape and, and decide how best to approach the situation. By the way, by the way, I am not suggesting something radical here. Please look at the book of Acts. Please go read the book of Acts. Notice the difference between Acts 2 and Acts 17, and you will see exactly what I'm talking about. It's the same message of Christ and him crucified, but Peter had a kind of liberty to preach the message that the Apostle Paul did not necessarily, okay? It, it, it was the same message, but it required a little bit different approach. And that's all I'm saying, is that sometimes it requires a little bit different approach. I happen to know a thing or two about our generation and those generations which are upcoming. And one thing that I know is that, again, characteristically, we're just tired of being screamed at. We're willing to trade our beliefs, but we demand to know, this is key, why we should. We're willing to trade our beliefs, but we demand to know why we should. So while many street preachers are excellent at their craft and have the desire to um, engage in meaningful discourse and even the ability to engage in meaningful discourse, I, you know, I want to be careful not to lump folks together, but, but, but sadly, those who can do this are few and far between. I mean, I have encountered some really intelligent and really thoughtful street preachers, and then I have encountered some who were not. So where do we go from here? I think there is probably a two-part solution to this problem. So here's part one. Put down the cookie cutter. Put down the cookie cutter. As per the usual around here, I, I mentioned this a lot, and I think it's just true. Truth is so rarely found in the extremes. It really, it's like careful thinking often lands someone in the middle. And that's not to say neutral. Oh, no. No, there's a huge difference. Often, the most polarizing position to be in is the position between the extremes. Because then everybody hates you, right? And everybody kind of kind of alienates you. Um, I just find that in most ideological conversations, there's a middle ground that tends to answer more questions, include more people, and is more preferable for a number of reasons. And I think this issue is probably no different. So here, here's something to think about. Many of us, myself included, 
grew up in a context where evangelism was not a lifestyle. Rather, it was an event. If you weren't doing the profoundly extroverted evangelism event, you were living in sin and living in disobedience. So the issue has become that since most people believe that that just is evangelism, they sit out altogether and they've given it up entirely. And as I believe you can actually argue from that study we talked about a moment ago, this belief has now become so axiomatic that many believe it's morally wrong to try to share your beliefs with the intent of converting others. I just don't... It's just incredible to me that the thinking has come to this. But I think this is part of the problem. Because evangelism is not an event. Evangelism, let me say this wholeheartedly, is not an event. Evangelism is a lifestyle. Evangelism is a lifestyle. Now, there's a difference, I think, um, possibly, between lifestyle evangelism and me saying that evangelism is a lifestyle. By lifestyle evangelism, there are those people who say, well, basically, you should just never talk about Jesus. You should just, you should just live for Jesus, and you know, he'll use that to bring other people to him. Um, that would be like the idea behind that, and, and I would say I don't agree with that. I would say that you need to live in such a way that you are asked and that requires a radical way of living. Um, that is not what is typically meant by lifestyle evangelism, okay? At least not the connotation that it brings along with it. So I, certainly we need to have the conversation. It just doesn't necessarily mean that you have to walk to some walk up to somebody that you've never met and say, hey, have you ever heard about Jesus before? Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference in those things. But certainly here somewhere... We've missed the mark, right? I think we could begin to repair these wounds by putting down this cookie cutter. Let's put down the cookie cutter that we have given the idea of evangelism. Everyone from any background with any personality style can and should do their part in the Great Commission. Again, for some more practical ideas of what this might look like, feel free to check out the book I wrote, God, the Great Commission, and You. You can get it right there on Amazon. There's a link to it on the homepage of the website. Um, and that'll go a little deeper into this. But like, it doesn't have to be hard. It really doesn't. Why not invite the neighbors over for a meal and minister to them? Show the love of Christ and see where the conversation goes. Like, Actually show people that you care. Ask God for an opportunity. Try that. He'll probably put one in your path. Like I've mentioned to this point, be radically different. Let me share an example of the perfect opportunity that I had. And of course, my subsequent failure to capitalize on it. But I just want you to, to, to see how powerful this can be. So one day I was filling up my cup of water at work. And one of the attorneys at the firm where I work, I do IT work there at a law firm, um, she asked me why I was always so happy. And unfortunately, I think at that moment, I responded with some pretty unhelpful, frankly, uh, neutral rhetoric. I was like, well, there's no sense in being sad, right? You know, something, something like that. A nice Southern charm way of answering the question. But what a perfect opportunity looking back on this moment, because I remember it clearly. Um, it would have been to mention Christ. This would have been an incredible opportunity for me to do that. Like you, 
the only way to know happiness that I, like I experience is to know Jesus. Like that's it. That's all. And I know, happen to know for a fact that this person is not um, religious. I, I don't know this for a fact, but I get the feeling, I get the sense that this is a person who was raised up on some kind of religion and has since left it. Um, but yeah, like it would have been an incredible opportunity and I missed it. And it would have been the truth, right? I am happy because of who Jesus is and who he says I am in me. That's the ultimate source of my joy. The day's uh, discouragements and the day's disappointments can't ultimately get me down because of my identity in Christ, who I am in union with Christ. And so, like, why didn't I just tell her that? She brought it up. Not me. She's the one who wanted to know. And I didn't give her a thorough enough answer. So since then, I've made it more of a priority. And it turns out, what I have found is that in this dark world, people actually will, and they do, ask why something is different about you if you truly are living as though your citizenship is in another world. Um, and I'm preaching to you and me at the same time. If people aren't asking, what are they really seeing when they see you? If people are not asking, then what are they really seeing when they see you, when they see me? Are they seeing someone who lives radically different? Are they seeing someone who... Um, is living for a world beyond this one? Are you, are, you, are, are, are you living as someone who's not so tied to the cares of this world that people um, can see that and they ask you why it matters to you that you um, have values that go beyond the fleeting and the material? Evangelism just does not have to look the same for you and me. Again, we need to, to ditch the cookie cutter. It doesn't have to look the same for, for your cousin. It doesn't have to look the same for your pastor. We're uniquely created in God's image, okay? And he can use us according to how he created us and what purposes he created us for. And since God is sovereign, he will use us to accomplish those divine purposes if we'll just, right, if we'll just do our part. That's all he asked. Now, so that's the first part of the solution is, is let's put down the cookie cutter and let's um, move forward into a more helpful uh, way of thinking about evangelism. Part two to the solution here is each one reach one. Each one reach one. Now, this is going to be tremendously practical, and so hopefully it will be helpful to you. Um, I think it's something we often miss, and that's a shame because we give lip service to the idea, in particular like outreach campaigns at church and stuff. I mean, I've definitely seen different people run their campaigns called Each One Reach One and such, but I want to give you just a super radical idea to kind of take this up to the next level. What if you made it, listen to this, what if you made it one of your primary missions in life to disciple just one person in the faith? What if you made it one of your primary missions in life to disciple just one person in the faith? Notice this, that the Great Commission is not, so many people miss this, please hear this, it's not the command to make converts. Rather, it's to make disciples. The Great Commission is not the command to make converts. Rather, to make disciples. And so this is where the disconnect is. So many times, many of those who boast about their superior evangelistic skills are good at the art of persuasion. But few of them give thought to what meaningful follow-up looks like. 
However, if you begin with a more holistic and I think accurate, um, mind you, uh, definition of evangelism, the one that Jesus gave, then then we can gain a whole new perspective and appreciation for the task. It's hard to nail down the sort of numbers, but for the sake of argument, let's just agree with a Wikipedia entry that there are 619 million evangelicals in the world, and that evangelical is the accurate term for, quote, those who are actually saved, unquote. So we're doing a thought experiment here. Okay, both of these are disputable. Both of these uh, ideas are disputable. We're just doing this exercise here, a thought experiment, for the sake of argument. So we're, we're agreeing that there are 619 million evangelicals in the world. That's number one. And that the word evangelical is the accurate term for those who are actually saved. Okay, those are assumptions, but those are the two that we're making. All right, in a world post-COVID-19, we're all much more familiar, I think, with this concept of exponential growth, right, than we used to be. We've heard about this a lot in the news, and exponential growth is a real thing. It's also a thing that's hopefully happening uh, to your bank account if you've got a good retirement plan set up, right? This is the kind of thing that we should be hoping for. We want that exponential growth. So all this means that whether it's bacteria, a virus, your money, or the gospel, um, something is spread at such a fast rate that vast numbers of the population are affected in rapid succession. Okay? Vast numbers of the population are affected in rapid succession. That's a way of thinking about this. So here's the, the, the thought experiment. If every evangelical Christian was able to bring just one person to the Lord, the entire world would be saved in just over 12 years. If every evangelical Christian was able to bring just one person to the Lord, the entire world would be saved in just over 12 years. Now, look, at I, I get that there are a bazillion factors, and this theoretical notion is not ultimately realistic, because, again, we, we realize that not everyone is going to accept Christ. But surely, though, you see the point I'm making. We've made evangelism into this impossible task because it's easier than ever now to get a sense for how big the world is. And it's like, man, what can I do where I am? How can I help? How can I affect hundreds or even thousands of people? And that becomes daunting and overwhelming. And we just, again, we sit out on the sidelines. There, there are too many to be reached, we think. But if it was our goal to radically pursue one person, one person, one person, one person, and their development as a Christ follower, what could the world become? What could it become if during our lifetime we were all focused on bringing one person? It would require a team effort, right? It would require all of us. But if one person, if one evangelical Christian, if one true Christian could bring one other person to Christ, this world would be changed dramatically in just over a decade's time. It's incredible to think about it that way. So here's what I would say. If you're afraid to get in the game, start small. Start small. Figure out in what way that you're truly best at connecting with people. Is it inviting them over for dinner? Great. Is it going to the mall? Great. Is it walking up to them on the sidewalk having never met before? Great. Fine. We all have this ability to connect with people because of the kind of creatures that, that God created us to be. But 
how we do it looks different for everyone. We're wired differently. So don't be afraid to step into that, right? Don't worry about fitting into someone else's cookie cutter. Don't even burden yourself with reaching the entire world. Just start with one. Well, I hope this has been a helpful episode of the show for you. A tough topic, you know, for me to discuss and and, and and possibly for you as well. So I hope that you'll take what I said here to heart and hopefully it, it helps you in thinking about how you can reach this world. You know, we're not all called to start a podcast. We're not all called to go into to full-time teaching or, or preaching uh, ministry, but we all do have a role in the Great Commission. And we don't have to fit into someone else's little box or someone else's little cookie cutter. Um, We need to do it in such a way that matches with our personality style. But we need to do it. And we should do it. It's a good thing to do it. So let me just implore you as a millennial and as someone who has been a Christian now for over 25 years, I think it's very, very important that we realize more than ever that the world needs the gospel. But more than ever, you can be a shining light. You can be different. You, you can invite those questions. You can live in such a way that someone actually cares enough to ask. It's an amazing time. Let's take advantage of that for the gospel. Let's do it. Let's do it. Listen, I want to encourage you to share the podcast with somebody else. There is no way that podcasts share um, spread that is more effective than you telling someone else that you listen to the Bible Nerd Podcast. That is the way to do it. If you want to see this podcast grow, it's not going to grow because I post on social media. It's not going to grow because I make friends with people in Facebook groups. It's not going to grow um, because I pay for traffic to come to the website and, 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 and look at the podcast. It's not going to grow for those reasons. I've done all the research. It grows because you care enough about the content and you think the content is worth telling someone else about and then it happens again. Word of mouth. That's how podcasts grow. So if you want to see my podcast numbers double, which isn't for the sake of podcast numbers. Who cares about that? The point is, let's get this message out to more people. Let's get more people thinking more carefully about their faith, thinking more carefully about the Bible, and frankly, uh, becoming Bible nerds, right? Let's, let's get more people on board. If you want to help in that mission, you don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't have to go share a million pages on Facebook. You don't have to enter giveaways. You don't have to do any of that. All you have to do is tell your friend, hey, look it, I think you would really enjoy this podcast. Or hey, I think you need to listen to this podcast because it would really help you in growing in your spiritual walk. That's all you got to do. Just share it with somebody else and each one reach one. All right. Thank you for your time. I love you guys. I appreciate your support. It's, uh, it's an honor to serve you in ministry. We'll see you next week.